I knew that there was a housing crash. Houses were overvalued, right? That didn't mean that a crash was coming. The reason why houses were the symptoms, but these were due to financial products that were leveraged through insurance that caused mass defaults, but the defaults then were 10 to one of what they should have been because of the financial instruments used. The CEOs of banks didn't understand why their bank was losing billions of dollars. That caused an implosion of the financial system that nobody even understood was happening. The more we know that the economy's in trouble, the less the economy's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the, the more we can all talk about it and identify it, it means that everybody's working on solutions. When you don't know, when you don't understand at all even what's going on, and then by the time you do, it's too late. Right. That is totally different. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. What's going on, everybody? Connor here from the Self-Storage Income Podcast. So if you're looking to build or develop a self-storage facility, one of the big challenges can be identifying and maximizing that rentable square footage, not the total square footage. What's the rentable square footage going to be? Forge Building Company can actually help you guys achieve that. As a complimentary service, Forge Building Company actually provides customized size and unit layouts. So they can look at your layout, they can look at your site plan, and they can provide a fantastic and efficient and maximized rentable square footage map for your self-storage facility or unit mix map for your facility. It's an incredible way to identify that rentable square footage to really hone in on your underwriting. These guys know self-storage. I mean, just in the last 15 years alone, these guys have built over 60 million square feet in storage, over 500 projects. These guys are absolute rock stars and total experts in all things self-storage. Be sure to check out Forge Building Company. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Self Storage Income. How's it going, Connor? It's going awesome, man. It's uh, it's a Monday right now as we're recording this, and um, just going through the motions, getting things done, rocking and rolling as usual. Uh, exciting times, man. Exciting times. You're lo you're looking a little older, I, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Over so. the weekend, I aged a bit. Yep. Uh, another year down, man. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was good. It was a good weekend. That's awesome, man. Oh, and it's a uh, you know, I feel like it's the calm beneath the, before the storm. I can tell it's summer, right? You can mm -hmm. tell emails, calls, things are dying down. And, and here with us, we have some pretty big ramp ups coming. And I can just feel it. It's the calm beneath the storm. And it's like, got to get everything put in place we got to lay all the foundations for yep. the growth that'll take place over the next you know five five months but it is nice to have a, a little breather uh that's been enjoyable 
Yeah, and we, we've got a lot of these things kind of set up, and they're uh, not on cruise control. Obviously, we're still driving the vehicle. We're managing everything. Um, but I know at least from my end, you know, a lot of these projects and these big tasks are, you know, we're just kind of working through these things daily. Um, and we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipe for sure. We've got like a little lull between deals here where we don't have a ton of third-party reports and these other things going on um to review we've had some prior review just because of random other things coming up because you know you get you get everything done and then you think you're good and then you know uh somebody at the bank you know somebody that they've hired to review surveys thinks that there's a problem with something that's totally not a problem at all <laughs> so you got to go back and there's a ton of back and forth and so just there's always something right always something you got to work something. through something you got to figure out but uh no, it's good, man. And talking organization and growth, I mean, we've been over the past, you know, several weeks meeting with uh, one of our team members here, getting uh, Tony and getting everything squared away and in uh, preparation for that growth coming down the pipe. So, um, and two guys, we're we're hiring. So, um, we have a tab. You can go to uh, our our website, cedarcreekwealth.com, and there's an actual tab there. But we are hiring. We are hiring for a lot of different positions. We have everything from a marketing director position that needs to be hired um, to admin. Um, so yeah, you guys can go go on there. That's we have positions on the property management side, on the private equity side. Um, so yeah, anybody that's interested, go down there because you know we we have been growing so much and mm -hmm. real estate you know, is one of these games where it's like, when it rains, it pours. So when it's go time, it's go time. We have deadlines, we have work, there's, and when things go wrong, you know, it, it's, it's all hands on deck. And that's kind of an interesting thing about this industry and in, in these, these businesses, you know, when we're closing on deals, when you're finding the deals and when you, you know, when it all comes together, when you actually get that deal and then have to onboard it, you have those months prior and those months right after. And so you have this, this long period of time of due diligence under contract closing and then onboarding, which is crazy busy. And if you end up in more of a position where you're in between or you maybe you've already done it and you're taking a year off or something like that then all of a sudden maintaining the real estate is not a lot of work and uh, you um you know you can take a, a breath of of air and uh, but then when it comes time to work it's you know it could be very very stressful because you're having to fund the deals you're having to it's there's so much that is packed into a short period of time but also there's so much that is not predicated on you mm -hmm. meaning there's deadlines there's things that you have to get done which you don't have any say like it it, it has to be done in this time frame i have to get this done the banks want this done so there's a lot of people then saying we need all these things. You can't miss these deadlines. It's you're really, really having to to run, and the risks are big during that time. From standpoint of normally, you're putting down money. You're you have money on the line, and if you don't get things done in that time, you can 
forfeit and lose that uh, that payment. Um, and that can concern a lot of people, obviously, and it's a good thing it's concerned. You got to you got to make sure um, you do everything right. Um, but especially when people feel that they don't have any money, mm -hmm. right? They don't have hardly anything to even lose. Um, and so lots of times when you're doing deals, um, you're, you know, you're putting other people as well on the line. Now, this is something that you have to really know, understand and master. But for a lot of people, it's also one of the things that holds them back, meaning they don't have money, so they don't know how to move forward. And then even if they did, they don't know how to move forward because they're nervous or they're scared. Um, but at the end of the day, we're moving into a phase, as we've talked about in the last podcast, the deals are coming, where this is probably going to be one of the better years that we've had in a decade to buy storage facilities and find assets, maybe not a decade, but the last five years for sure have been crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we're really moving into a time now where you, you gotta be ready. And a lot of people were listening to that and a lot of people were thinking about that. And I think they were like, you know, man, I wish that I had money so I could actually take advantage or capitalize on, on deals that I could get into the game. And that's what we kind of wanted to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to dive into this. Um, it's funny, it, it makes me wonder, do you think people are more aware right now of just the way the market is versus the Great Recession and, and right before then? Because I feel like a lot of people that I've talked to, investors especially, they're, they, kind of, they kind of have a grasp on what's going on. And it's not like this black swan event that's just catching everybody off guard. I feel like there's some people out there that actually, or a good majority that actually kind of have their ducks in a row and capital on hand to, to take advantage of deals and things like that. Do you think yeah. that's yeah, the case? Yeah, the information is dispersed so much differently than it was then. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, you know, when it was back then, social media was brand new. There was There's not a lot of access to information um, like there is today. And there wasn't a lot of access to good information, um, relevant information. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, though, a lot of people have to remember, you know, 2008, you know, the Great Recession, we were in the Great Recession probably a year before anybody knew it. So there were signs, but people weren't, properly valuating the risks in the market, the signs that were coming. You had a lot of people that, I, I, I want to say denialist, like they just denied the fact that we were in one. But that's really hard to say because it's so easy to look back and be like, how did you not know? But you got to remember that when you talk about like a crash coming, when you talk about economy getting wiped out, I have never had a year in my life that that wasn't a going trend. This year's the last year. Yeah. <laughs> There's clear signs. The economy's failing, it's falling, it's crashing. So to say people were denialist is hard to, to say because there's a lot of arguments too that you know there were people that saw it coming and they understood it well enough. 
But for a lot of people, if they're right, it's more of a function of luck that they got the crash right than it was anything else. Um, but the difference in today, which is huge, is that we understand and can see what's happening, meaning that a lot of the things that are affecting today's economy are inflation and rising interest rates. And those are the things jolting the economy. And 2007, it was a subprime uh, mortgage crisis that up until which nobody even knew what subprime mortgages were. Like the CEOs of banks didn't understand why their bank was losing billions of dollars. Like they didn't, they didn't even get it. They didn't understand why their own bank was at risk. It was this obscure product that had been leveraged 10 times over and um, banks are black boxes. So that caused an, like, an implosion of the financial system that nobody even understood was happening, right? So it wasn't that people would say, I knew that there was a housing crash. Houses were overvalued, right? That didn't mean that a crash was coming. Mm -hmm. The reason why houses were the symptoms, but these were due to financial products that were leveraged through insurance that caused mass defaults, but the defaults then were 10 to one of what they should have been because of the financial instruments used. So it's not that houses alone could have softened or crater stuff. Without those products though, it wouldn't have risked the entire financial system. A lot of people don't even understand that today. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, houses will go down and the entire economy will blow up. Well, that's not exactly true. Right. Like uh, it and, and that's hard to say and understand because, yes, it was the fact that housing was defaulting and that housing prices went lowered that triggered the recession. Right. But it was also due because of the financial instruments. The houses were inflated, loose lending practices. And then the financial industry industry um, had used those obscure products and those obscure products are what turned something that was bad into something that was end of game, right? Like it was, we could, we, we just basically destroyed the entire financial system, not of the United States of the world. And, um, nobody knew that nobody knew that or understood. So when people were like, there's not going to be a major crash, it, it wasn't that they had their heads in the sand. It wasn't that they were stupid. Nobody knew, mm -hmm. like nobody. And so you would say a logical person would say, yeah, we can see homes cooling off and there would be softening. But to see a catalyst that would cause financial defaults and make the largest institutions, financial institutions in the world go bankrupt. No, like you couldn't. It, you, how would you even put those two things together when you didn't even know what the causes were? No matter what business or industry you're in, you're going to want a competitive advantage over your competition, right? You're going to want that ability to outperform and outmaneuver and outvalue that competition. Janus International provides you the tools to be able to do that, whether that's their R3 program to help increase the look and feel of your storage facility through new doors or siding or roofing or gating or whatever that is, or a technological 
or a technology solution like their Noki solution that allows people to rent units, to access units, to do all of this without ever going in the office. Be sure to check out Janus International. Link is in the show notes. The more we know that the economy is in trouble, the less the economy is in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's the, the more we can all talk about it and identify it, it means that everybody's working on solutions. When you don't know, when you don't understand at all even what's going on, and then by the time you do, it's too late. Right. That is totally different. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of like where the root of the my question came from is that that's kind of what I feel like is happening. There's actual discussion taking yes. place. There's not this level of unknown that there was with the previous you know great recession kind of hundred percent you're exactly so. right everybody can look we can point towards it we can say now with that said it doesn't mean that we can stop it yeah no that's it, it, a very good point it's it, like, you know and that's also the one of the reasons too that we lend towards the thought and my thought is you know much more of a stagnation than anything else that the stock market was so overvalued. Bubbles were in the economy due to cheap money. Um, and so a lot of those bubbles, like the stock market, are deflating. Cryptocurrency was clearly in a bubble, considering it's less than, it's dropped 60% of its value or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty What it was in the last three months. Um, and so you had asset prices and things like that that were bubbled, but they were brought down and they weren't so far we don't know obviously there's always things that we don't know systematic in nature so they don't we don't see the overarching linked chain that one may be i've heard people talk about defaults and crypto and how that could have a catalyst effect and things but we, so far you know we haven't identified anything like that yet and uh, um we may not but the big factors are interest rates and inflation. And those two things, although they're very, very hard to stop, um, and they're very persistent, um, they're very identifiable. And that is so different from 2008. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, which is which is good. It's a very good thing that that's the case. And uh, it just goes into kind of what we're really talking about today is, is again, like we were talking about here at the very beginning of the episode is um, being poised and ready to execute and um, take on those deals as they start coming down the pipe. Because uh, like we've been talking about, man, those deals are going to be more and more and more as we continue moving forward, uh, more and more available, that is. And um, if you don't have the capital, if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the team ready to execute, you're going to miss out on a massive opportunity, and um, this is this is the time of times to to get things ready to go. It's always a good time, but um, I think right now is is especially a good time to really get the ducks in a row and be able to execute on deals. And honestly, like, of course, we get a ton of questions about all things self storage, but one of the big questions we hear a lot, and that I think all people have just in real estate in general when they're getting into it is uh, they're, they're caught on the money. Obviously, one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle when investing in self-storage is funding and financing. Where are you getting your money from? Honestly, I hope you guys are getting it from Live Oak Bank. The people over there are absolutely incredible. They have an amazing team who knows and understands the underwriting of self-storage, the valuation of self-storage, 
They can work and coincide with you and your team in evaluating a deal and financing a deal, securing that financing and actually closing on an amazing deal and an amazing self-storage investment opportunity. Be sure to check them out again, Live Oak Bank. It's a good question because obviously, yes, you, have you to do have need it. money. You know, I think the first thing we have to, you have to do is you have to really put some context to this in the framework of meaning a lot of people think when I have the money, I'll do something. And that's not how the world works. Um, and I've talked about this before, but like we don't have enough money to do what we're doing. If you do, you're doing things way too small. Um, and you're not going to make any meaningful impact. And that's definitely not how real estate works. That's not how corporations work. Nothing. That's work. nothing. Bill yeah. Gates doesn't have enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, n- no one has enough money. Like, it, it's like they don't have enough money. The, and the reason being, and the reason you have to understand this, is the money that is out there is so astronomical, none of us can actually fathom how much money is out there. It is so mind-boggling. I mean, you got to think about every single industry and the trillions of dollars that are generated from even just a few industries and the value and the debt products and the countries. And it is mind-boggling. And in the world, the world is to provide solutions and to actually take care of problems and move markets and to do anything, you, it takes large amounts of resources. But that's not single point owned, meaning that's not because Bob is rich. No, Bob got rich because he showed the market how to use resources. It's mm-hmm. not because he had them. Then the market gave him a segment of the resources. But the value that even like wealthy people have is just absolutely... Um, it, it, it's, it is so disproportionate to the value that they create and what they, what they overall produce. And that can be in the form of payroll, infrastructure, on and on and on. The reason why we have mega, mega rich people in today's age um, is the world is flatter, but the, the GDP is so much astronomically bigger than it than it was. I mean, you got to look back and we talk a lot about the Gilded Age and things like that, but you're going back to a time when um, it was Rockefeller or Carnegie, like his money was like something like 4% of the entire GDP of the United States. (laughs) That's nuts. That's insane. That's one person. Yeah. We don't have that today, right? So the rich people... Right. And the uber stupid rich, like people that I can't, you can't, nobody can really quite understand how much money they have, like Elon Musk, things like that. They don't compare in that same way. Uh, The economy is so astronomically big. Uh, So when you look at the money that goes around, you're never going to have enough. It's not about you scraping and accruing it. It's about you understanding how to deploy it, how to manage it, and how to work within it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use your own money, right? Of course you can, but, you know, not a lot of people have millions of dollars to just go buy a facility and not use either 
OPM in the form of investors or the bank. Now, if you have a bank loan, you're not using your money. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I don't take investors' money. And I'm like, oh, well, so you paid it out? No, I have bank loans and I used an SBA and I put 5% down. I'm like, oh, so you really used investors' money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, even your, like, your own money that is getting lended back to you at a new interest rate. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, so the, banks are already a form of investors. It's a form yeah. of other people's money. So we have to utilize and you have, there's a lot of ways you can go about not having money. Um, and investing. But to start it off, you need to get rid of this idea that I can't do it because I don't have the money. Because if that was the case, no organization would ever grow, no business would ever grow. That simply is just not how it works. And um, that is a massive limiting belief that kills a lot of people. It's so hurt my growth. And it so so hurt me when it was trying to like save so below my means and accrue capital, which is great. I'm not saying don't do that. I still live very far below my means. But um, when we look at, you know, what I thought I, I was expecting me to do it. And I always thought, oh, well, I could do a bigger deal or I could do something when when I have enough money. But it just that's not how it works. So once we get that out of the way and we really look look at saying, what are the avenues you know, obviously the banks, that's the most foundational one. And that's the most um, recognizable one, because we all use it for homes, cars, and everything else. So people get that, right? Um, Those are defined products that the bank issues. Uh, The other way is the bank and how the structure works with the bank is usually the bank is loaning the money in form of a loan, then you have to come up with a down payment just like you would on a house. So let's say that that down payment, the bank's giving you 70% of the money, you need to come up with 30%. Well, people can then from that point, they can either accrue their own money to put the 30% down, or they could go to work with uh, investors or other people, they can give them the money down and you can go into a partnership of some kind, buy the business or buy the asset together. Um, And then you use that. Now, um, way you can either use some of your money in it or not any of your money. You don't have to use any of your money. Now, another way that it goes, because a lot of people say, well, I can't qualify for a bank and nobody will give me money. Well, first of all, nobody will give you money if you have nothing to show. And I don't mean that you don't have a resume or you haven't done it because then everybody argues about the chicken and the egg. Well, if you don't have anything to show, get something to show, meaning go get a deal. And then you have a deal to actually show. You control the deal. You have it locked up under a contract, so you get to dictate a lot more of the terms. Um, now, other than that, you say, doesn't matter. Investors don't like me. I don't know anyone. Besides all the things, well, then you're hanging in the wrong circles. You need to get out. You need to change your circumstances, which are all very important and things you must and need to do. And if not, then it's really hard to listen to people when they complain about not having investors' money. Have you asked? No, but I don't know any rich people. Okay, well, you don't even know if they're rich or not. And what do you mean rich people? If you're buying a million-dollar storage facility, you need $200,000 down. There are actually very few people in the United States that don't know enough people that could gather a hundred dollars to $200,000. And through lots of different products, types, abilities, short-term loans, there's, there's, there's way more. The problem is if you're trying to make it exactly how you want it, there's way less. 
And you have to remember the market doesn't care what you want. So you have to adapt to what the market needs and wants and you have to do and jump over those hurdles um, to make it happen. Now, that's fine. You can't get money from other people. You can't do any of that other kind of stuff. The next alternative, which is a major one that I don't know why people don't do basically 24-7, is seller financing. We did that when we started out because we couldn't get banks to loan money. So instead, we went and the seller became our bank. We're doing that today. We have a deal that we're doing with seller financing. He is financing. It's a $2 million deal. He's financing a million of it. We need to put 30% down on the bank note, well, he's loaning us 50%. So the debt to equity, right, the loan value is already 50-50. So you already meet the requirements of the loan because the bank doesn't care that he's financing it. They just look at the loan to the asset. So that means you don't have to put anything down. So we literally have an asset that we won't put any money into. Mm -hmm. None. And we'll own it. And we'll have a super low. And normally when you say things like that, people are like, Wow, that's because you use too much debt. No, 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 no. This is actually super, super low debt. Um, and that million dollars is also non-recourse. So seller financing, you can do it partly or you can do it full, is a great thing to do. And that's been really hard over the last three or four years because money has been plentiful. So sellers haven't needed to. So that kind of died down and you didn't hear a lot of it because of the absolute demand from uh, invest, uh, investors of self storage that they just one up each other and pay that's changing. And that's changed dramatically, especially in third or fourth tier markets, because capital's flowing out due to higher interest rates. So sellers have less buyers. And now even with the higher interest rate, cap rates follow interest rates. And when you're in third, fourth tier markets, right, that's a dramatic thing, because nobody can get the money to loan against it. Or if they do, it changes the value because the cost of money is higher. So you can go to owners and say, well, I'll give you the price that you want, but you have to be the bank because a bank won't loan at that price. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I can't get a bank to loan. Nobody can get a bank to loan at the price you want it. Huge advantage. Huge advantage. So go to them and say, here's the price you play the bank of which most owners are like, well, I get 30%. So I get a huge chunk, right? Immediately. Um, day one, or in the case like we have it, I get a million dollars of the 2 million. Um, But then I also am getting money every single month. And that money is taxed at a different rate. So now when you sell or finance it, because they are playing the bank and it's a loan with them, they're not getting taxed like they would have if it was just a cash out. So they're, they don't have uh, the same types of recoups, cap capital gains. So it's tax advantaged for them. So a lot of sellers, and I think we'll just will only continue are moving in that direction. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where tenant Inc comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy and put into motion to extract the maximum amount of value and deploy the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Do you know, just off the top of your head, like timeline-wise, what it's looking like to secure that non-recourse like versus SBA? Because I know SBAs were like, really taking a long time for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. SBAs usually take a long time. That's why, um, honestly, that's that's why our, our, our sponsor, Live Oak Bank, is one of our sponsors. It's just, it's not a matter of even 
getting loan stuff, it's it's banks and SBAs working with the government take a long time. So if you're not using somebody that really gets and understands SBAs mm -hmm. and self-storage, holy cow, that can be a nightmare and that can be so, so hard. And banks like to sell a dream and then the reality is much more frustrating when you go into it. And we've seen that happen time and time again. Um, and people get frustrated. You said you could do this. You said it was easier. So make sure you get that right. And you get a bank like Live Oak that just has it down so you don't need to worry about those things. But um, yes, there is a big time difference to obviously if you're doing seller financing, that can be dependent on a lot of things, but you're going to do a much more traditional financing. So all right, if I need to finance a portion of it, but they're going to sell or finance the down payment, well, it's already there, so I can get a traditional commercial loan and close quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and if they're gonna sell or finance the whole thing, then that's a lot faster. So yeah. like for us in <laughs> this deal, deal, yeah, we're looking at the big thing that we have in the contract is the interest rate that's applied because mm -hmm. we wanna pay them the two million. We don't wanna pay them two million plus the interest. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So yeah. what we're doing is, in order to actually qualify it as a loan, you have to have an interest rate for the seller. Oh, such so, a good point. We were talking about this the other day. Yes. Like, if you want to walk them through that. Yeah, that's because uh, it was, is it the IRS that requires the yeah. uh, the interest? The interest. Um, or else it's not considered a loan. And then obviously that affects Changes your taxes. taxes and yeah. everything else. And so, yeah, that was kind of the discussion we were talking about the other day was, yeah, we want to give them that $2 million price, but it's going to have to be, you know, the sale price is going to be, well, the seller finance portion is going to be that 1 million plus whatever, mm -hmm. you know, interest is going to be to come out and equal that 2 million overall price um, total at the end of the day. So no, good point. I'm, I'm glad so you we have to up. like, what we have to do is we have to say, okay, um, they really, it qualifies at like a percentage plus. So needs to be like 1% or above, like one and a half percent, then it qualifies. So we have to put the interest rate in, and then we have to look at the maturity of the loan, and then we have to draw back the amount based upon the interest rate. So we arrive at the 1 million. So mm -hmm. it doesn't turn out you paid the guy 2 million off a $1 million right, kind yeah. of loan. Yeah. And that's how we were structuring it. Now, some sellers say, okay, I'll be the bank, but you do have my money. I want interest rate on top of it. So we've done that where it was like, like yeah, but... I don't care. I'm selling it to you for $2 million. Find the bank. You got to pay me interest on top of that, which that's fine. And that's normal. So that's okay. Um, uh, and so you just got to look out for that. Uh, we had one deal that we were doing a seller finance for, and it was a really bad deal. The guy had pushed us right towards the end. So he'd do, say he'd do seller finance and his attorney sent over, they wanted to come up with the loan docs. The loan docs were more, rigorous than our loan docs with non-recourse like wall street banks oh, and, it was, and we were like man what even... is this this is yeah it was so overreaching and like we said to them they're like well you don't think i deserve the same protection as the bank and i said well dude if you don't think that you do don't you think i do well what do you mean and i'm like you're not regulated by the government so I'm not protected from you by the government. Mm -hmm. So you should think that it should go both ways. Well, we don't see it that way. Well, of course you don't. You see it your side and your side only and you don't care. So yeah. the loan documents, right, that can get into a problem if you're dealing with unreasonable sellers. So you just got to make yeah. sure that. 
and you got to make sure the loan documents are very simple, straightforward. There should not be overarching contingencies. And I would never do a guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I would never guarantee, personally guarantee an asset that the loan is being held by the previous owner as an individual. That is, uh, that is such a big no-no to me because now that person holds your assets and you don't know what they can do and you're not protected against them like I am a bank. Mm-hmm. A bank just can't close on me if they can. There's all of these, re- I mean, geez, half the country, you can't even kick somebody out of a home that's not even paying your bills. Yeah, for Like real. it's, you know, this is not something they can just do. Now, individuals, they can simply sue you or default you. It's, it's a lot more complicated. So um, make sure you avoid avoid that. But in the, at the end of the day, though, these are discussions and negotiations that you can have with the seller to get the deal done. And you don't need any money. So it's, you know, we we utilize always. So when people are like, well, what do you do? Well, we do seller financing. We do investing. We do our own money. We do all of it. And mm-hmm. you should. You shouldn't be employing all of it. And it's not that we have enough money because we don't. There is no way that we can buy millions of square feet off our own money. It's There will never be enough for us to grow and to build what we want to build. So if you feel like I don't have enough money and I'll never have enough money, guess what? Welcome to the game. You're in the game of real estate. So get over that and start finding solutions. Yeah, you know, exactly right. And I'm glad you brought up all those points about seller financing because you do have to have, it's a great option, but yes, you do have to know what you're doing and have all your uh, your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Make sure you're good to go. And in that scenario you kind of shared was, uh, it was an unfortunate one, but it, was, it wasn't it was going to be a seller financing uh, finance deal to begin with. And it was kind of a last-ditched effort um, yes. I can't remember what ended up happening to the financing on that deal, but it was like we a contingency effort. It. Yeah. yeah, it was the and owner wanted it done in his time because right. of a tax reason, yeah, of which right. no bank could do it in yeah. his time. So we said, listen, you haven't provided the bank with any of the materials. You say it has to close this year, mm-hmm. but you've given nothing. We went two months and you didn't give the bank any P&Ls. The bank can't do a loan if they don't have your financial information. Isn't rocket science. And so he's like, okay, well then we'll just do a seller financing because we could do it. What I think really happened was this. He wanted the down payment, but he knew he didn't provide the information. We couldn't get the loan. So we, so obviously we were going to walk away from the deal because we didn't have the money um, due to him. We had banks that were ready to go and everything. And so instead he tried to trap us by saying, oh, we'll do seller financing took a month to get the documents together. Mm-hmm. It was provided two weeks before close. And then when the documents were given to us, they were, once again, I'd never seen anything like them. And then we're like, hey, this doesn't work. We need to have a discussion about it, everything else like that. And they just said, oh, you're defaulting. You don't want it. So it was kind of a setup and kind of a bad deal. So you got to walk, watch out for bad actors mm-hmm. like that. But they're like, you just wire us the money. And I was like, well, you've obviously never done business with me. So, you know. I would rather spend a hundred fold fighting you than giving you that money because I don't appreciate people like that. But you find those and you find those kind of people. And you guys gotta be careful too um, when you're dealing, because when you're dealing with institutions, there's checks and balances, right? You have third parties that are holding capital, they're moving them around. You have banks, there's laws that they have to follow. There's documentations, there's requirements. You have escrow companies, you have, um, title companies, right? You have all these things. 
when you move into a seller financing role, you are moving away from all of those systems that are in place to protect both the seller and the buyer, which is fine. You just need to realize that. And you need to work with attorneys that have a lot of experience. You don't want to put yourself in a bad situation where somebody is trying to do a seller financing because they know that they couldn't get it financed or they know that there's problems or something like that. So if somebody ever says, well, I don't want you to use bank financing, but I'll do seller financing. That's a, for me, I'm like, okay, that's a pretty big red flag. So uh, the only reason is because I'm like, what do you not want, right? Like, what do you mm -hmm. not want to find? So you just need to watch out for that. But that too, that's rare, everybody. Mm -hmm. We do tons of these deals. Yeah. That's rare, but it is real. And you can't let something like that. As long as you have good contracts, good attorneys, still use a title company, right? And you still need to use, you even probably want to pay third parties to do their own audits. You need to get your phase one studies done. You need to get your Alta surveys done. You need um, all of those things done because you are now, they are the bank and you are a lender on it. You need to make sure that what you're buying, right? You go through the right stuff. So once again, easily done people. It's not that I don't mean to be that emote, but I also don't want to say this is just, you know, roses and rainbows. <laughs> and so just go out there and have everybody give you a, make it a bank loan and you, you buy it. Um, yeah. But I think when you look at all of these things, that is really what it comes down to. There's lots of ways to do deals, structure deals, make deals happen if you don't have money. But guess what? None of it is easy, but it's not easy if you're using your own money either. Because how long did you have to save and work? And two, you're using after-tax dollars. So if you're using $200,000 of your own money to buy an asset, that's not $200,000. That was $400,000 that you lost 200000 of it in taxes and inflation, at least 200000 of it. Um, so there's a big cost to you to using your own money. And that was something that I learned very early on when I was doing the math. I was like, I'm paying with after-tax dollars here. So my return isn't actually what I thought it was. Um, so either way, it's hard. There's pros and cons. The point is there's lots of ways to do it, though. Mm -hmm. Lots of ways to do deals, to do it right, to do it safely, whether you have money or whether you don't have money. Um, partnering with other people, having qualified third-party institutions, getting good reports, seller financing, investors, all of it, right? There's really no excuse. And we're now moving into, I believe, the greatest time that we've seen in five years to get deals, find deals, and finally to, I think, a return to the seller financing. Yeah, I love it. And um, and again, as we're always preaching, man, work with those experts in those realms, whether it's the attorneys, the surveyors, any of that, make sure the people you're working with and contracting with um, like AJ was talking about, I've done this before. They're experts in that realm. Um, it, uh, it helps streamline the entire process, helps you avoid any pitfalls. Um, and it's, uh, it, again, just getting those experts in your corner, I couldn't, couldn't say more about. But um, sticking to your guns. So, yeah, like, yeah. you know, if you have sellers that are like, I'm disorganized, so I don't want you to send you the stuff that you need, right? You guys got to remember, you shouldn't want the deal 
so much that it puts you in harm's way. So you need to be, when you're seller financing, right, uh, make sure your due diligence process is thorough and make mm-hmm. sure it's good. Now you should, anyways, it doesn't matter if it's seller financing, right? Um, but I know lots of you are out there in third, fourth tier markets working with very mom and pop owners. And trust me, done that, been there, still do it. Due diligence is harder. When you say, we want a copy of all the leases, like of every unit, yeah, your lease for every tenant that's there. And they don't have any. Um, And you ask to see a printout of their management summary. And they say, where would I print that from? Because they don't have a property management system. They're doing it on a, in a three-ring binder. Um, that's okay. But you need to make sure you are auditing that and you're going through it. You're actually getting what you think you are. Um, and this that's just real estate. That's the name of the game, mm-hmm. right? It's not. But you need to stick to your guns where you have parameters of things that you need to understand or see. So you don't wave something and say, oh, I guess it doesn't matter for this deal only to find out that it really did. And it wasn't that they couldn't or didn't have it. They just weren't providing it to you because they didn't like the answer. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And the other thing, seller financing too, again, going kind of back to the expert situation is um, don't let a lot of these industry quote unquote professionals tell you that um, there's you know, seller financing doesn't happen. You can't get it for less than market rates usually. Uh, seller financing is more than what the market's doing x y and z i've heard that i know so many people in the industry have heard that don't listen to the noise again there are people out there doing deals every single day us included yeah where you know we're putting again like aj's talking about zero down to seller finance something or uh very little down less than you know seven eight percent ten percent whatever it is that the market's doing um and again go ties right into what aj's talking about stick to your guns don't uh accept that as being a reality and exactly like AJ is talking about too, deals are structured differently always. always. And there's uh, and this is sellers a want different things. Exactly right. They've got different pain points that you can solve. Um, this is a different question that we've gotten a lot is, you know, how can you what's a typical structure look like for either partners or for investors or for a seller finance deal? And it really is like all over the board. There's not a one size fits all situation. It's seriously like whatever you need and whatever the seller needs, whatever the investors need, that's how you can structure the deal. I just made a great YouTube video that talks about structuring a self-storage deal where you go over the three components you need, how to bring in investors. That should literally be launching this week. So by the time this is out, you should be able to go on YouTube and watch it. It's a full breakdown. And I know we didn't talk about investors a lot on this one. This We covered it and it was more seller financing. Well, let's hit that one on the next one. We're almost at an hour here. So mm-hmm. you know that's a huge topic. But like always with our content, everybody, how you get back to us is please give us a great review. I can't tell you guys how much of a difference that makes to us. Literally, I feel like we're always fighting with these platforms, whether it be the podcast platform that took down, it was like two, 300 of our reviews. Um, and we still don't obviously have answers. They do whatever they want. Giving us good reviews, putting comments on our feeds, following us on Instagram, interacting with our content. That 
is the currency of the internet, everybody. And that's how you help us and pay us for putting that content out because that gives us a wider reach, which helps us gain investors, which helps us get deals. So please do that for us. It makes a big difference. Thanks a ton, everybody. And we'll uh, catch you next time.